Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. We have a show full of weird things today, and I don't even think my fellow hosts are aware of how weird it's going to get at the end, because there is a story that I didn't send them that I'm going to ask them questions about, (laughs) and I can't wait. I'm R.A. McGee, and let me introduce the rest of the squad this week. We've got Pippa Warner. Hello. Who I, I've struggled every week since I called you Pippa Middleton. <laughs> struggled to not call you Pippa Middleton again. <laughs> like eating away at my soul. I'm so sorry. Uh, Did I have her bank balance? I hope so. <laughs> Give me a fine fee. Next, we have hanging out on one of the undisclosed islands of Hawaii, Mr. Nick Thacker. <laughs> that is the that translates. That's the crowd the going podcast wild. Medium. Yes, I'll be able to add that in post. Actually, no better sound effect. But that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) And last and not least, my man, Mr. Jim Haskett. Hello, welcome. How is everyone today? Bueno, man. Bueno. I never know if you're talking to us or the people listening. It doesn't. And then I think it's goofy because I'm like, why would you ask people? It's a one way conversation. But I like it. It makes me feel good. You know, it's like people always ask, like, "Where's Waldo?" But no one says, "How is Waldo?" You know, mm-hmm. you ever think about that? Poor Waldo. When is Waldo? When is Waldo <laughs> on his timeline? Why? <laughs> any of Why? Why is Waldo? Oh, wait. You know what? Speaking of Waldo, I saw a video online where someone bought Where is Waldo from uh, like Barnes and Noble. They went to their house and they scanned all the pages and erased Waldo and all of them put the pages back in, put new pages in, and then took it back to Barnes and Noble. So someone's going to be looking for Waldo and not be able to find him. That's cruel. Emily, I saw that article. It was amazing. Yeah. He like Photoshopped Waldo out of all of them and like reprinted it. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's the most devious thing I've ever heard of, but all right. So in any event, if there is no further ado, let us jump into the news. Hey, that was close. That was pretty <laughs> close. So professional. About as close to perfect as it gets. I could not be any more proud of us right now. <laughs> I'm rolling no, a single. No, no, no. Stop, stop. <laughs> there oh, we go. Man. I knew it was too good to be true. <laughs> every, time I, every time I click it, it, it's set to autoplay and it doesn't autoplay. So then I think it's, I, and then I click it again to stop it. We almost had it. We almost missed <laughs> <laughs> it by that much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. In any event. Okay. So our first story this week, I found this kind of interesting. It is, let's see, from The Guardian, more UK news sources. But it says, uh, the headline is, John Steinbeck's estate urged to let the world read his shunned werewolf novel. Apparently, the Nobel-winning author has a complete werewolf book that he wrote before he Grapes of Wrath. And I think that's a lot cooler than I thought I would think it is. I think that that's amazing. What do you guys think? Are you guys interested in reading John Steinbeck's lost novel? I'd be intrigued to see a werewolf novel out of a completely different era. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I liked Steinbeck was one of the few like literary, I guess, quote unquote authors that I was forced to read in high school where I actually really liked. So I, I'd be up for brains of wrath for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're not calling it that, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jim? Any interest in uh, Steinbeck's novel? No, there's probably a good reason why it didn't get published back then. So it's probably not that great. Oh, man, I don't know, man. Trad is, is so hard sometimes. I mean, it's the Grapes of Wrath guy. Could he be that bad at a werewolf novel? I mean, if it was the third novel he ever wrote, according to this article, then it could have been. Yeah, my first couple of books were pretty bad. I would not want them to be published after my death. What You said mm. well, what, your third book. My third book was better. <laughs> my third book was The Enigma Strain, so suck it. <laughs> Let's see. Murder at Full Moon tells the story of a community gripped by fear after a series of gruesome murders takes place under a full moon. A cub reporter, a mysterious man who runs a local gun club, and an eccentric amateur sleuth. You know, look, I mean, I know publishing, traditional publishing is never, they never want to publish like a, you know, let's say a first draft of some famous book, like, let's say, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, why would they ever do that, right? Um, Hmm. So I can't imagine why they would want to publish a completely finished, amazing novel about werewolves written by a famous author that they know they'll get a bunch of money from. This isn't a question of if, this is a question of when. They're going to publish mm-hmm. the thing. It's coming out. We know it's coming out. Come on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, actually, wait, you sent us this article a few weeks ago. Dude, have you Googled whether this has come out yet? It's no. been three weeks, dude. <laughs> no, I've never even looked. I should follow up on these things. It's probably on Amazon right now. It's probably it's like probably like John Steinbeck. No, in like publishing the, the... time, they're still emailing back and forth, being like, "No, does next Tuesday work for you?" <laughs> That's for true. To... <laughs> That's probably true. We need to get a power lunch going. Um, what place <laughs> we not tried before in downtown Manhattan? <laughs> yeah, we ought to check because it might be like you know John Steinbeck's Werewolf book number one, Enigma Strain number two, Jim's third book number three um <laughs> in the werewolf category of course the very aptly uh positioned in the werewolf category i'm sure I so can picture the amazon page right now <laughs> so in any event i am gonna look in on this and keep an eye on this because i am excited i like that kind of stuff and steinbeck is a stud so best of both worlds there so we'll see how that goes all right let's go to our second story now, this one uh, has a couple of twists and turns in it, so I'm going to need you guys to be the brains of this. But this comes to us from uh, Writer Beware, which is a pretty good site about the pitfalls that writers can fall into, and it tries to help people avoid getting duped. And uh, so this one is uh, titled, Two Scams to Watch Out For, Writer's Conference Fishing Scheme and the Goodreads Extortion Scam. Now, I believe we talked about Goodreads Extortion Scam a mm-hmm. few episodes ago, right? Like, yeah. And if you, if you didn't hear that, the basic gist of it is people leave you bad reviews on Goodreads and they'll offer to remove them if you give them money or something such, right? That was what it was, guys? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. yeah. So we won't give that one too much uh, life because we already talked about it. If you are interested, you can go back to one of our previous episodes and we went a little more in depth on that i think the too long didn't read was nobody cares about goodreads this one i'm a little more interested in now i think that as you start writing and start dipping your toe into the world one of the things that you're confronted with is conferences and contests and things of that nature they all seem nice and a lot of them want you to pay for an entry and so one of these is a problem 
for writers. This particular one, the company Crown Castle, it has nothing to do with publishing and it doesn't do. So basically, it looks like they're trying to prey on authors. Do you guys uh, see this happening a lot or are you hip on this uh, scam that's happening? No one cares enough about me, I think, to try to offer me places. A- that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I'm- <laughs> I'm passed over for everything, including scams. <laughs> yeah, I haven't ever been invited to, I haven't gotten this email or been invited to join any conference. I mean, what the fuck are we talking about here? Scam, a conference scam Sorry. thing? Whether yeah. or not we should earn our explicit rating badge <laughs> or not. I used to join in uh, some of these awards contests when I was a new author. I kept joining them until I actually won one. Then I stopped so I could put that in my bio. And then I didn't have to worry about these <laughs> little vanity things anymore. Hey, can I be honest with you, Jim? Yeah. When you and I first met and started talking and I read your bio, I was impressed at your award in your bio. <laughs> then it was all worth it. So it, it worked. You got me. It's a bro. long con specifically for RA. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, he wants something. I go, this guy's all right. Man, look at Jim, man. He's he's able to now say, because of that award, I was invited to do a news show with RA McGee and a few other authors. And it's all because of that award. This hey, it's all life. because of that. You need social proof sometimes, man. Social proof. So, okay. So we're not super familiar with this particular scam. So I guess a further add-on I would have to this would be, maybe we don't ask Jim because he probably is biased about this, but (laughs) would you guys recommend entering your books into contests when you're a new author to get a little bit of credibility or to get a little bit of feedback? What do you guys think about that? You think that's worth it or no? Just be real careful to see if they're scam ones where you... Like, because if you get one of those, those ones where everyone who enters gets an award and then you've got that on your website, you may end up looking like a complete fool. And so, yeah. yeah. So here's the deal. Like I, I say a lot of things, assuming that people have like even the slightest bullshit meter. And it, it turns out that I'm just like constantly amazed by the complete lack of bullshit meter most people have, or some people mm-hmm. have. So sure. I, I'm going to say this, if you out there are listening and you think you've got a pretty good BS detector, you, we, we can tell which ones are legit and not, right? Like we can go to a website and read some things and check out who's won before and like all that and say, okay, well, this is legit. If you can't do that, then don't enter these competitions because you're going to enter some scam ones. But I do think the vast majority of these competitions are probably legit, like meaning like they're not going to try to just steal money. They're actually going to award something and all that. But I don't do it. I've done it in the past. I think I've done it once or twice. I've paid 50 bucks to put a book in there. But I just can't imagine that there's actual... The problem with it is there's no objective way to analyze art, right? There's no objective methodology to say this is better than this. So the best you're going to get out of a competition like that is good feedback, if anything. So that's the only question I have is, is, you know, do you think you'll actually get good feedback from these people? And if you're not going to get feedback at all, then I think there's no point. Like, why are you going to pay 50 bucks? You're most likely not going to win. You know, if you do, it's not going to really do much. You might get on a podcast one day like Jim. But, uh, <laughs> but good luck. I mean, Jim's gifted in other ways. That's why he's invited to the podcast. It's not just because of his award. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate um, that. You're welcome. I just wanted to feel like I throw you a bone there. No, I don't know. I feel like if, if you're going to be guaranteed at least some critical feedback from other people who are running the competition, I one, make sure that you're going to get it, meaning like every entrant gets it, every finalist gets it even, and then make sure that people you actually trust. I don't want feedback from a librarian. Librarians are great. Are they authors? Are they thriller writers? Like probably not. So it's not as helpful to me, right? That's all I would say. I mean, I know it's a lot, but I'm not necessarily against them. I guess I generally am against them, but but it's not for the reason that they're all scams. I think it's more just like What's the point? You know, what am I going to get out of it? 
Yeah, you yeah. might as well put that money into ads. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. Makes sense. All right, good deal. Let's move on to kind of an interesting third topic that we've got here. And it's a book that is written by a guy named John B. Thompson called Book Wars, The Digital Revolution in Publishing. And so this is his quote about it, his blurb about it, I guess, is uh, in Book Wars, I take the reader on a journey through the decades of disruption that began around 2000 and continues unabated today a period that has witnessed an enormous proliferation of new ventures and initiatives, which taken together have radically altered the landscape of contemporary publishing. And I think this is kind of interesting because obviously I haven't read the book, but from what I'm seeing here, it kind of sees like someone's take on the indie versus trad thing and how it kind of feels like they seem just a little behind the ball, the stuff that they're kind of talking about you know, it seems like, yeah, well, like, no duh. Some of this feels a little no duh to me, you know? Well, the guy's talking about indie versus traditional published and wrote a book that was traditionally published. So it's like, well, right, yeah, right. Maybe it's past, right? But of course, this book was guaranteed to be outdated because it's going to be 18 months late. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so let's go into a couple of his, of his headlines here, right? Number one, one of the disruptions that he's talking about is the Amazon online retail. You know, he's talking about how they were a small tech startup and things like that. And now Amazon accounts for 45% of all print books in the US and more than 75% of all ebook sales. And for many publishers, around half, their sales are accounted for by Amazon. So he's kind of trying to talk about Amazon taking over the world with their revolution. I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't know. I guess how big of a burr, and now this is just me, I just want to ask you guys this. How big of a Burr in the saddle is Amazon to trad publishers. Do you think they really have a, such a contentious relationship, or do you think that they're working together behind the scenes to move more books and stuff like that? Well, I think traditional publishing is very jealous of them because of the data they own. You know, down in point number three, it says, I really like this quote here. The guy wrote, For centuries, publishers thought of themselves primarily as a B2B business. They produced books and sold them to intermediaries in the book supply chain to retailers and wholesalers. Publishers didn't have a direct relationship with readers. The job of dealing with readers was left to the booksellers. And Amazon has always cut out that middle step of the chain and gone direct to readers. And they have all the data from the readers, whereas publishers, as all these mid-level booksellers are disappearing and getting eaten up by Amazon, then all of that data, publishers just don't have it. They haven't been collecting it. They've been selling books for hundreds of years, but they haven't been collecting data for hundreds of years. So Amazon is just light years ahead of them when it comes to that. Yeah, I don't think I can say it better than that. <laughs> yeah, it's true, Jim. I think you know publishers will, will release a book and it'll do well and they'll say, great, we need more books like that. But they don't actually collect the data on why that book did well necessarily. Besides you know, marketing, advertising, they have information on that. We know how much we spend, where we spend it. But they're not sure, like Amazon is pretty sure, why a reader picks up a specific book over another Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, the second heading here, I think, is the one that's maybe the most interesting to us. It's about the self-publishing boom. And he kind of goes through it a little bit, you know, and I think what's interesting, he calls it, let's see, the world of self-publishing is now an enormously complicated world in its own right. Yeah, tell me something I don't know. Uh, a parallel universe that exists alongside the world of traditional publishing and that has grown enormously in recent years. So, you know, the established publishers and agents who have long acted as gatekeepers in the publishing world, deciding which authors and projects should be published and on what terms, can now be bypassed 
by following entirely new pathways to publication that have been opened up by the digital revolution. I mean, that's pretty true, right? I mean, I think maybe he was on the head with that one. Yeah, I'm reading some of the Amazon reviews um, on this, ironically. <laughs> one of the ones that I uh, I noticed Michael Laron is on here, and he he gives it five stars. This is thorough and detailed. Um, it's a big book. A lot of people say it's kind of like a textbook. One of the ones, uh, holy Jesus, a uh, great reviewer, apparently, <laughs> gave it three stars. And, you know, this is exactly kind of what my impression was after reading the description was um, it's a little... Uh, Stale isn't the right word, but maybe academic, like a little dense, you know, like this is a textbook. And and so it's got really pretty graphs and the data is undoubtedly accurate. Just stuff that we kind of already know, like if we're in the indie, it's, it's more like what we as the indie authors feel in our gut, this guy's proving with data. So it's like, this isn't going to really open our eyes to anything. It's just going to be more like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, one example, holy Jesus gives is you know, the graphs showing the uptake of readers during the digital takeover are interesting. And this cannot be faulted for being incredibly well-researched, you know, and then the implication is, but yeah, we already know that's something that we as publishers and business owners, you know, in this space already kind of know. So that's kind of my my take on it. I I was thinking about getting it and reading it because it does sound interesting, but I wanted to find something out that I didn't know. And I'm afraid this is going to just be like a literal textbook version of things that we already know. But that's so, my opinion without having read it. So let me ask you guys, and now thinking about things in relation to the book that he's written and the self-publishing boom and you know how some trad people have some hurt feelings about books coming out and things like that. Do you think that, sorry, this sounds like a dumb question, right? Do you think that the ebook revolution is cannibalizing paper book readers, like readers that read in paper. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, my wife won't pick up ink and paper book to save her life, but she wears Kindles out like it's going out of style. I know I'm kind of the opposite. I don't read that much on Kindle, but I like to hold the books. So do you think that that's open in another avenue for readers or is it kind of cannibalizing existing readers? Can it be both? I mean, maybe. I don't know. It's one of those things that I wouldn't want to say without much data because I tend to be unusual in my reading habits. So I will read most things first on Kindle. And then especially if it's a longer or more complex book and I really liked it, I'll buy it in hardcover or paperback so that I can, because I feel like I can read it better when I can flip around very easily between two sections or um, Mm -hmm. nonfiction, especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, you've got all of your bookmarks in there, your book darts here. Yeah, I used to do that. Um, when we moved from Colorado to Hawaii the first time, <laughs> I just basically sold or gave away a lot of my books. And I haven't had any interest in getting them, you know, getting them replaced. Like, cause I, I, I was cool to have a wall of books, but it's literally all it was. I never, ever, with maybe the exception, which is the book that I use for like writing research that is that I own. I own two books now, not including the three gratis copies that are sent by my publisher every time I publish one, like they get, I have those and I just try to give them away, but nobody wants my crap. I own two books, you know? And so, yeah, I'm kind of there. I'm with your wife. I read at night with my Kindle. I read during the day with my Kindle. I go to the park with my kids and I read my Kindle. Like that's, that's what I do now. And I used to have more interest in the hardback, the paperback version, like, Oh, I shouldn't, you know, I should support the author or the publisher or whatever. And I should buy the book and it's nice to have on the shelf. And even then I would still read the Kindle. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to read the Kindle. So I don't know. I think um, empirically, anecdotally, I guess, I am like that as well. I used to buy books. Now I don't. I buy eBooks. 
And this came to it, like I had the full realization of this yesterday when I, went, I took my kids to the library, we got our library cards, the kids ran around like crazy uh, little people and looked at all the kids books and all that. And they took a few home. And then we went upstairs to like the big people book section. And I was like, I don't need anything here. Like there's just, I love books and there's nothing here that I want to take home because I, first of all, I can't keep it, which is the biggest problem with libraries. I should be able to keep them. It should just give me free books, but that's an aside. <laughs> Um, you can keep them if you don't care about the late fee. That's true. That's you know true. I mean? That's that's, that's fair. Yeah. Think around the box, man. <laughs> Outside the box. No, that's the, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, it was just, I, it was really, it was striking to me because I've done that now a couple of times. Like there's the mall that I go, I go to every now and then out here and, and there's a, a cool little bookstore, used bookstore, you know, in there. And I go in there and I walk around and I'm like, oh, books is great. I want to buy a bunch. And I'm like, I don't need any of these. The ones that I want, I probably already have in my Kindle, you know, collecting mm -hmm. virtual dust. But if I don't have them, I can go buy them on my Kindle or Nook or whatever it is we're reading with, you know? So I, I, it's weird. It's crazy, but I never, I don't know that that means anything other than I do it, but it sounds like there are other people out there who are doing it as well. And I think it may mean something in the next 10, 20 years as younger people who are coming up online and digitally and all that might be doing the same thing. We'll see. Which would be such a sad thing simply because I love going through the secondhand bookshops and yeah. because it, yeah. things aren't arranged in any sort of way. So you come across all sorts of things that you would just never have seen otherwise. And they smell so good. <laughs> they do. You know, it's like the, the, the arrangement thing. I was just thinking about that little bookstore. I can't remember what it's called. It's like a books and DVD. It's like what Hastings, what, if you guys know what that is, right? Like an entertainment store. Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's really, really tiny, but not only are they not organized, they're not even alphabetized. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just books on shelves, like yep. nonfiction next to Michael Crichton. Next, you know, I mean, I'm like, Lots this is giving me a headache even trying to like walk around here because for every, you know, Tim Ferriss book that I see, I see like three Ann Coulter books around it or whatever, you know, and it's just, I don't know. I think I think it has to be a, a way of browsing books that you enjoy. And it was definitely like it was a way that I was brought up where I came from. There was a place called the book mill that was in one of the old textile mills in Western Massachusetts. And their tagline, which they sold on bumper stickers, was books you don't need in a place you can't find. Um, <laughs> and it was awesome. great. But it was like it was exactly that. And that was where I first sort of started to get into books was I could just wander around and find things yeah. that I would never have found. And a lot of those never got digitized. So they're not available on Kindle now. And yeah, I think part of the reason that I want to keep a big wall of books is that that's one of my fondest memories from being a kid was mm -hmm. that my parents let me have the run of all the books in the house, never said, oh, you're not old enough to read something or whatever. And so it was just this like, I could go find any book I wanted and read through it. And some of them, I was just like, I, this is entirely over my head, but that was how I got into sci-fi and fantasy. So I kind of want that big wall of books for my kids to be able to read some of my favorites and browse through and which may be completely anachronistic. They may never want to do that, but. <laughs> man, that just made me a little sad, man. Like tugged at my heartstrings a little oh. bit. We're going to give our kids free reign of our Kindle devices, right? Just, <laughs> there you go. Whenever, Make sure it's covered up. <laughs> sure there was a great thing a while back. It was on one of the podcasts about someone who, like, they'd gotten their mother a Kindle and Kindle Unlimited because she was super frugal and so had read something like 20 books a week from when they were very little from the library. And they got her a Kindle and went to great pains to assure her that $10 a month was way less than she'd spend if she bought all of the books. And so when she died, he thought to himself, oh, she would she would just kill me if she knew that I let this Kindle Unlimited 
subscription keep renewing and that I kept paying for it because that wasn't frugal because and went (laughs) onto her Kindle and found all of this erotica and ended up reading all of it. It was like, I'm just going to like see what mom was into. (laughs) And it was on a podcast talking about it. And they're like, so what was one of your favorites? He's like, I think it's called Spanked by the Mafia Boss. It's about a girl who meets a lot of mafia bosses and and get spanked by all of that. That's a good one. Truth in advertising. That's awesome. I love it, man. Good stuff. Well, all right. Well, if anybody's interested, that book's out there talking about some textbook stuff about the disruption that uh, the digital revolution has been to traditional publishing. All right. So moving on. Now, this is the weird surprise. Oh, yeah. Surprise thing I got for you guys. And it's it's really not that hard, but you <laughs> might you might look a little foolish. And that's kind of by design. So uh, <laughs> I found this this article that's called nine words that have recently been removed from the dictionary. Okay. So no typing, Jim, because you're a researcher. I, I know you. Hands up. That's <laughs> right, bro. So I want to give you guys a few of these words and see if you know what they mean. Okay. Are you just going to say them and then we all chip in or are you going to ask individually? It doesn't matter. It's okay. However you guys want to play it, it's fine by me. All right. So I'll, we'll start out easy. Okay. The first word is aerodrome. Aerodrome. Nick, you're typing. I see you. I'm, picking, I'm putting the show notes in here. Okay. Aerodrome. aerodrome. Hands aerodrome. up. Um, is that drone with an M at the end? Yeah. Con un M. Aerodrome. A-E-R-O-D-R-O-M-E. Some type of ship, some type of mobile city, maybe. Aero means in the air. Drome makes me think of city. I think that word. Thunderdome. Flying city? (laughs) Okay. So the answer is uh, a British term referring to a landing field for airplanes Uh, and related structures, e.g. hangars. The word airport has since replaced. So you were doing good, though, breaking it down. I like it. All right. The next one is alienism. Alien ISM. Colloquialism. Wait. Okay. Alien. Is it maybe alienism? Like instead of alien, it's like a lean, like in, you put a lean on a property. I mean, you could probably pronounce it that way. Sure. That might be it. Alienism. <laughs> hmm. Like Pippa said, is it the opposite of colloquialism? Uh, alienism? No, I don't think so. All right. We'll go with this one. <laughs> alienism is the obsolete term for psychiatry, which is the study and yeah. treatment of mental illnesses. It's a fair assumption. The term was phased out due to the offensive connotation of connecting the word <laughs> alien with mentally ill patients. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of metal. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm a fucking different species. <laughs> I just love that it could have given a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists an excuse to be like, yeah, look, you're an alien, so I can't really help you. you know, it's nothing I could do. It's called alienism. We have a term for it. It's a real thing. <laughs> All right. So this one may be easy, maybe not. I don't know. It's brabble, B-R-A-B-B-L-E. Arguing, uh, yelling at each other, uh, getting a heated debate in a British way. Yes. Nick is right. Really? Yes. Mm. To brabble is to Does it say British? Because that'd be amazing. No, it doesn't say British, but that's understood, of course. Getting into Uh, a fierce row. This seems like the sort of terrible word they would come up with. Yeah. Yeah, To brabble is to squabble. 
quarrel, argue, or fight. Okay. So, not bad. Not bad. All right. So this is French, and I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Charabanc. C-H-A-R. Okay, I'm sorry. C-H-A-R. Yeah. C-H-A-R-A. Uh, B-A-N-C. Charabanc. <laughs> Charabanc. <laughs> A green bank. I was told we was only going to be English words. Were you? Uh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Charabank. <laughs> Next, he's going to be like, right, this is a Chinese word. But I don't know what it says, but I'm going to draw it for you on the screen. I'll do it quick. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to type in the chat to make sure I have nope. the... Nope, cheating. Charabank. Yeah, that's it. Charabank. Okay. Um, Just Googled it. That's our... You guys are wordsmiths, and this is so funny to me because I don't know what any of these mean. God, I have. I I, you know like what? I should. This is not right. This is not. There is no right way you would know this. It's from French, meaning wagon with benches. This combination of a, of a bus and a motor coach was used for sightseeing. Ah, of course. Readily common usage. All right, let's see. I got two more here. Frigorific. <laughs> F R I G O R I F I C. Frigorific. Colloquialism for cool, vernacular for cool. Awesome. Interesting. Like fridge, like refrigerator. The bronze no, is frigorific. It's from that old Rob, Schre- Rob Schneider sketch with the copier guy making copies. Frigorific. <laughs> you know, Nick, I, th- I think you're right, man. It says uh, this word what? was used to describe something that causes cold or is chilling. Today, we still have frigid, but the older cousins no longer listed. Nick, you're all right, man. You got two. Brabble and, <laughs> Brabble and frigorific. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the last one I'll do, because I don't want to keep doing this to you guys, but frutescent. F-R-U-T-E-S-C-E-N-T. Frutescent. Frutescent. Having a fruity or fruit-like quality. Uh, that'd be too easy, right? By fruit, <laughs> something scent, though, something about smell or an essence. It fruitescent. Uh. <laughs> okay, it says love shrubs. You could have used this word that means having the appearance of a shrub. <laughs> so, sounds like a gift. <laughs> I guess I know why they took those out of the dictionary. But, you shrub-looking bastard. Yeah, the last one's a harsh disc. <laughs> It's probably offensive to everyone, so they had to take it out. Fruitescent. How dare you call me? You called me a shrub. How dare you? <laughs> I love it. I said All good right. day, sir. I good day. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. You guys got anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, I'm just confused I, now. Nope. <laughs> that was a frigorific <laughs> episode, though. I'm glad we didn't get oh, yeah. a little gravel about that. Full of share bank. <laughs> good deal alright guys so for all of us at Author News Weekly I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over goodbye everybody <laughs>